Welcome back to the Formula One Grid Talk podcast, everybody. This is episode number 133. I'm your host, George Housen, and today we have something very different. We have an exclusive interview with the head of Pirelli uh, Motorsport, Mario Isola. Hi, Mario. How are you? And how's things at your end? Hello. Everything fine here. A bit noisy because of uh, the support events here in Zandvoort, but I hope you can hear me well. You're coming in loud and clear. Don't you worry about that. Yes. So if you do hear some cars going around in the background, those are the Formula 3 cars. We are recording this during the uh, second race of the uh, the Dutch Grand Prix weekend for those guys. So I guess this show is meant to really be a kind of catch up with how things have been from Pirelli's side. Pirelli, of course, being the sole supplier of tyres to Formula 1. Obviously, now next year we have some big changes coming with the cars, but something that hasn't been talked about as much is the tyres themselves. So I believe next year we're getting bigger tyres, uh, bigger wheels, uh, but what else can we expect from Pirelli's side, Mario? Next year we will have a sort of revolution in Formula 1 because we have uh, tyres that are completely different compared to the current ones. They are a lot more relevant also for our uh, road tyre development because we are talking about the size that uh, is in use on road cars while you know that 13 inches tyres are no more uh, common tires in on, on road cars. So our technology transfer between uh, Formula One and motorsport and, uh, and road uh, road tires uh, will be even uh, even better, even quicker, even more relevant. This is not. Uh, I'm not saying that we we don't learn from the current tires because thanks to Formula One we had the possibility to to develop virtual models, new materials. Uh, technology in terms of uh, any area uh, like indoor testing, production processes and, and so on. Obviously, Formula One tires are designed with certain characteristics uh, with a track compound that is able to work at more than 100 degrees to wear quickly because that, that is required by Formula One. And uh, as I said, they are race tires, but uh, we have uh, several uh, other elements where we can transfer technology from F1. So coming back to your question, now we have uh, tires that are required with uh, uh, some degradation, with uh, some characteristics uh, when it was decided to move uh, from 13 inches tire to 18 inches tire, but also to redesign completely the cars for next year because the new aero package is different. So when uh, when you follow another car, you should lose a, a very small amount of downforce. They are talking about around 10%. Uh, Why now, if you follow another car, you lose more than 40%. So you can imagine which is the difference. Uh, and uh, now when you follow another car and you lose the downforce, you start sliding. And sliding means that you overheat the compound. So we are designing compounds that are able to resist more to overheating, so to overheat less. But also the design of the car will help uh, in this direction. That means that uh, I am expecting drivers to push more. They can push more during the stints. They will have less degradation. We are designing new compounds with a wider working range. and We are designing tires with different characteristics. Because of the smaller sidewall, they are more let's say, the racing tires, more precise. Drivers during tire development tests this year have been very happy of the characteristics of the new tires. 
And uh, this is in in few words or what we are expecting for next year. Drivers being able to push more is always a good thing, obviously. Yeah, the tyres will be sliding around, like you say, because there'll be less aerodynamics from the cars. But what will that likely mean in terms of uh, in terms of the race strategies i mean obviously it varies a lot from circuit to circuit and driver to driver but in general right now it's usually a one-stop either a soft medium or a soft hard or something like that it, will that trend continue into 2022 do you predict or is it too early to say it's a bit too early to say but uh yeah you're right we we have now in the majority of the races a one-stop strategies mainly because it's difficult to overtake exactly for the reason that I just mentioned to you. So when uh, you try to overtake, you follow a car, you overheat the tire, you cannot push, you lose downforce. So, you know, it's a it's a loop where it's difficult to, or better to say, teams are always trying to prepare the race with a one-stop strategy. So they avoid the traffic. Uh, they are not uh, obliged to push too much to recover the time that you lose uh, during the pit stop. Next year, what uh, what I'm expecting, probably we are still in most of the races uh, on a one-stop strategy because if you have less degradation, if drivers can push, uh, there is no incentive to have an additional stop. But maybe if it is uh, easier to overtake, uh, this is uh, something that could help in... Uh, having races with two stops. Uh, I believe that uh, the final target for Formula 1 is not to have more stops uh, or more overtaking. is uh, to have races uh, with uh, what they, they, they call close racing. The close racing means that uh, overtaking shouldn't be easy, but uh, we can see drivers fighting for the position, even if uh, at the end you don't have a, a proper overtaking. Because I believe that fans are amazed by the fact that drivers are able to push and try to overtake each other. Overtaking when it's too easy is not good for the sport. So it is good to have this close racing. It is good even if we have a one-stop race. doesn't matter as long as the show on track is good. This is exactly what we want for our spectators and for Formula 1 fans. I 100% agree with that. It's a very fine line they need to find the balance between making overtakes too easy and making them too difficult. We all, as fans, we all love seeing drivers battle it out side by side, lap after lap. If it's just over in one straight with DRS, then it feels a bit empty. It's a bit of an anticlimax. So I've got a few questions from some more of our panelists, some people on the on the Grid Talk crew. One from Jared here. When there's an incident like what happened in Baku, for example, this year with uh, Max Verstappen, how do you guys uh, reconstruct everything in the investigation? Like, what's the process that you go through to figure out what actually happened? It's not easy. It's a bit like uh, CSI when the police has to understand what happened. And uh, it is exactly the same process. So we try to recover all the pieces of the broken tire and we send all the pieces back to Milan. In Milan, we have uh, special laboratories able to investigate uh, which was the failure mechanism in order to give us uh, a first idea on what happened. In parallel, we ask uh, the teams uh, to provide us uh, telemetry data to understand if uh, there is something that we can see from telemetry. And also, like uh, the case of Baku, we have several other tires that have been used uh, at the same race in the same condition that we can analyze. We can uh, organize additional tests on those tires uh, in order to 
understand other parameters on tires that are still in one piece. So there are many elements that are considered, not only the tires that are broken or that fail, but also many other tires, data, details. Uh, we have a look at the footage, for example. It's really a lot. It's a lot of work. That's why sometimes, like in Baku, we are not in a position to give a feedback immediately because it takes time to analyze all this data. And uh, in Baku, we had, uh, let's say, uh, the, the answer to, to, the, to the question in, in five, six days. I understand that, that for somebody can be a long time, but consider that it took two days to have the tires back from Baku to Milan. And this is a time that uh, we cannot avoid. So we immediately organized to fly the tires back to Milan but you have the custom, you have a lot of uh, stuff that you have to, to manage. So two days were lost because of the transportation and four days for the analysis where, trust me, we, we did uh, the analysis very, very quickly considering all, all uh, what I described to you. Well, that's the thing. People expect an immediate answer nowadays, don't they? These things do take time, like you said, and, and all those factors put together. Plus, COVID, of course, will not have helped with that as well. So, no. And, and of course, the absolute last thing you want to do is give an incorrect answer. You always want to give the right answer, even if it takes longer. So, fair enough on all those points. So, got one as well. Another question from, uh, this is from Tom Horrocks. Logistically, could a more extreme wet tyre be provided in place of or in addition to the current wet allocation going forward, obviously we had we had a few lap race in uh, in Spa because it was so wet, because it was so challenging. Has there been any kind of plans for potentially a monsoon tyre? Like um, I think Bridgestone or Michelin used to have that years and years ago. Has there been any talk of Pirelli doing something similar to that? Well, we, can, we can do that, but honestly, I'm not sure that this is the solution because we are comparing the... Uh, all the years where uh, we had also different decisions from uh, the race direction. Now, obviously, when uh, there is uh, so much water on track and the visibility is uh, close to zero, uh, nobody wants to allow drivers to take any risk. So I, I fully understand that motorsport is dangerous and we agree that there is a part of uh, a risk in it, uh, but we have to avoid the stupid situation where they take a risk for nothing. So in Spa, the amount of water on track was quite high. And uh, when we designed a full wet tire able to disperse uh, more than 80, 80 liters of water per second at 300 kph, clearly this water has to go, has to go somewhere and uh, it goes uh, in the air as a spray and the spray makes the visibility very difficult or almost impossible. Uh, there was a lot of uh, talking after spa on the opportunity to use different type of asphalt or to have uh, a circuit where you have a sort of, let's say, banking uh, also on the straight in order to avoid that you have standing water. They are all great ideas, but obviously on each one, uh, there are pros and cons, so we have to consider that carefully. And on top of that, I have to say that we didn't see uh, many, many races uh, canceled because of that uh, in the last 10 years, I remember three, four, probably situations like it was a spa. I remember one year in uh, Japan, there was a sort of monsoon and we had, and they canceled the Saturday uh, qualifying. Uh, I remember that in uh, Austin one year, it was a really difficult situation. 
the Canada, Canada 2011, there was a big delay in the starting of the race uh, because of the, the water on track. But, uh, you know, in, in this uh, situation, sometimes there is nothing you can do. Many other sports uh, are affected by weather conditions. So it's not just Formula One. If you have uh, snow, if you have uh, heavy rain, also uh, football or uh, other sports are obliged to cancel the events. So it's not just affecting, unless you don't have an indoor sport that is different, <laughs> you have to accept that weather conditions can be so bad and you are obliged to cancel the event. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that one. It was it was a freak day. It was it was spa weather times twenty. It was it was something that we didn't see coming, and it's something we very rarely see. Even when there is rain, the delays are start. It's very rare it gets the the whole event cancelled, and it's the shortest race ever. This it's never happened before, and hopefully, fingers crossed, it won't happen again soon. Because I I wouldn't expect it to. It's a totally freak day. I've got another question from Tom Horrocks here. So obviously, Pirelli have been. This is their eleventh year providing tyres to Formula One as the sole tyre provider. In that time, out of all the different compounds that Pirelli have produced, which was your favourite? The Hypersoft. <laughs> yeah, 20, 2018? You remember the, story, the, the pink one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it was... Uh, I remember when the drivers tested the Hypersoft for the first time, they were so uh, happy, so... I mean, over the moon because of the level of grip. And I remember that I told them, guys, don't forget that when you have a, a compound like this, uh, clearly the level of degradation is much higher because it's a sort of a qualifying tire that can give you a fantastic grip for one lap, but then you have to accept that the degradation is high. And they said, no, we want Hypersoft for all the races. And they said, no, come on, that's not possible. But uh, yeah, my favorite one was the Hypersoft. I love that too. It was like it was like a throwback to the uh, the old qualifying tires back in the day. You know, yeah. a, a tire that would do one lap and probably not many more. You know, that that that's a tire for people who want to see really fast degradation, like we had some years, like in twenty thirteen. Something different in the end of the day. I've got a potentially awkward question for you here now as well. So Ruby Price has asked, uh, was Lewis Hamilton and several other drivers right in saying that the decision to run two timed laps at the Belgian Grand Prix last weekend behind the safety car, was that financially motivated, do you think? Or is that something that you can comment on? It's a bit of an awkward question. I, I don't know exactly why they took the decision to run uh, the safety car for two, three laps. Uh, obviously, it's difficult to take a decision uh, in a short time. Because, yeah, we are talking about a few hours, but it's, it's an important decision. I believe that uh, Race Direction tried everything possible to let the race start. Unfortunately, and uh, this is also, you remember that they decided at a certain point to stop the counter because in the regulation is written that after three hours or mm. four hours, uh, you have to declare the, the, the race finished. And they decided to have a an additional hour, even if in the regulation is stated in a different way. And that was uh, to try to do everything possible to have the race. Uh, then uh, above a certain limit, you cannot go also because it was uh, becoming dark. And in any case, I was there until midnight and it was raining. So there was no, no, no <laughs> hope to have the race uh, on, on Sunday. Many, many discussions on the possibility to 
move the race on Monday, but I guess moving the race on Monday means not having spectators. Uh, it means we had we had to move to Zandvoort. It's complicated. It's not that you can move an event like this of one day of one day after and, and everything is easy. So the, the, the two laps were decision right or wrong. It's not my job to say. Mm. I don't think, uh, I mean, just because of financial implication, there are so many elements, uh, uh, you know, points, the championship, the classification, uh, the, the, so, so many elements that is really difficult to judge. But the reality is that there is a regulation and the regulation says that it is possible to give 50% of the points after two laps. So the regulation was uh, applied. Maybe there is the need to review the regulation. I believe that uh, they are looking at it. Uh, um, nothing is, is perfect in life. You always find a way to improve. So uh, regulation, tires, cars, speed, safety, everything can be improved. And that is exactly what is going to happen. We have a spa. Spa was not... Great, unfortunately, we didn't have a race, but uh, I'm sure that we can learn from that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, like we mentioned earlier on, it was a freak day. And, and it, yeah, like you say, if, if you were there until midnight and it was still raining, there was no chance of running that. Even with headlights, even if Formula 1 car had, had headlights or we lit the track up or something, it was just never going to happen. Yeah, and then, of course, there's the marshals as well because they have normal jobs, they're volunteers. So who, who's going to replace them? You know, it's a lot, a lot of different factors in that. But yeah. So uh, what, another question I want to ask is obviously that we spoke to you last before the 2020 season began. Obviously, a hell of a lot has changed since then. The calendars for both this year and last year, they changed so much. But how, how has that been affecting you guys? Because obviously you have to produce the tyres, you have to ship the tyres out and fly the tyres out to different countries. Has, has that been a massive challenge for you guys? Or is it in a way been easier because uh, you produced the tyres in Milan and most of the, all the races since then, they've ever been in Europe or the Middle East. It's not been as far for you to go. No, it was a massive challenge. We produced the tyres in our factory is in Romania, but um, the, the logistics and uh, everything was a nightmare, honestly, last year and this year as, as well is complicated because uh, it's not just tyres that we have to produce. We have uh, equipment that we have to transport. We have a lot of material that is uh, sea freighted uh, around the world. Yeah, you are right. It was a bit easier because of the most of the races in Europe uh, and some some races in the Middle East, but it was really difficult. We had uh, several meetings uh, during the first uh, lockdown with the teams, uh, with F1, with the FIA, to try to understand which was the best uh, the best approach to a situation that was unknown for everybody. Uh, for example, you remember that in 2019, uh, teams had the free choice of compounds, so we we are selecting the three compounds for each event, and then they decided how many sets of one compound, how many sets of the other compound, and so on. And we agreed that uh, it was a clever move to have a fixed allocation instead of uh, an allocation made for each car. And that gave us the possibility to push the production, to produce some tires in advance, to have uh, batches of tires available. So also the possibility to reduce the, the time from, uh, let's say, the confirmation of the calendar, uh, production and shipment of the tires. So tires were already produced and we had only to ship the tires. 
And that gave additional flexibility also to F1 for the calendar because last year they have been obliged to change the calendar many times and this year as well. Consider that we have the tires uh, that we produce for Japan that are at the moment on a shipped to, to Japan and we probably are able to, to collect them, uh, I believe the tires in Shanghai and the equipment in Singapore because there is a transshipment from one boat to another boat and, uh, and everything is complicated. So we have, uh, sometimes we lose equipment, we lose the tires because they are going in a country that is far away from Europe uh, and then uh, the organizer is obliged to cancel the race. It's, it's really complicated and not only for the tire but also for our people to get all the paperwork and uh, PCR tests and vaccine and everything that is necessary to, to travel. So complicated. Yeah, very complicated indeed. So the, the tyres for the Japanese Grand Prix this year, they were sent out before the, the race was cancelled. Unfortunately, both the tyres and the equipment, uh, because we had the deadlines for shipping companies, so we had to do that. And, uh, and uh, you know that uh, logistics and, and traveling is even more complicated because of the COVID situation. So you don't have all this uh, cargo availability that you had in the past. So uh, sometimes it, it takes more time to get to a, a country because of restrictions, uh, customs, and so on. And that's why we had to ship the tires to Japan before it was announced that Japan was cancelled. It doesn't matter. We will fix it. We will find the tyres and send them back and uh, reroute them to another race or back to UK. But mm. uh, it's, it's an additional work for our logistic people. And uh, they have been absolutely great last year because uh, they did a miracle, I believe. Not just our logistic people, but all the people that are in, involved in logistics in Formula One, I think about the teams, uh, they have to transport the garages and equipment and cars and, and F1 the same. Uh, there is a lot around uh, a Grand Prix. It's not just uh, a nice event. There is really <laughs> a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's the traveling circus. That's the... Uh... That's the old phrase that goes along with it. So I already probably know the answer to this question, to be honest. But when, when it comes to these races being cancelled, do you guys get any sort of advanced warning? Because for, for Japan, for example, we it was on the cards that it was going to be cancelled for a long time, even before the Olympics happened. But it just kept going on and on. And then eventually it was cancelled. But it sounds like you probably found out a similar time to what the fans did. More or less, but because uh, Formula One was working a lot with the promoter in order to try to make it happen. So it's not because uh, they don't want to give us uh, information in advance, it's just because we are working really at the last minute. So it's, it's not easy for them. They keep us updated, but sometimes it's difficult also for them to know if a race is. Sometimes it's a decision of the government. Uh, mm. Sometimes it's a decision of the promoter. Sometimes conditions are changing last minute and uh, suddenly you have a race organized in one country and the day after the, the country is uh, in the red list for Europe and then it becomes difficult because when you are back, you have to quarantine for 10 days or two weeks 
And if you quarantine people, then you can go to the following race. So it's really a mess. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Turkey's been moved a lot as well. But what's what's kind of the what's kind of the the rumors around? Because there's a few question marks, to say at least, around uh, Mexico and and Brazil. Are you fully expecting to go racing there this year? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, my feeling is that we need to be ready to uh, possible changes, ad- other changes to the calendar, because uh, as I said, uh, uh, a lot of uh, Things are changing day by day. They, they, at the moment, uh, all these races have been confirmed, so we still miss uh, what is going to happen after Brazil. But uh, the calendar is still on 22 races, one race less compared to the first version. And uh, I know that the Formula One is doing everything possible to guarantee that we are going to race in 22 different locations. So I'm confident that uh, we will we will have a great championship despite the COVID situation. No, definitely. It's already been a fantastic championship this year as well. You know, the battle between Hamilton and Verstappen, we've we've loved watching every moment of it. And one thing that we've not been talking about for the most part has been the tyres, which I guess for you is a good thing, obviously, because, you know, if, if, if everything goes well and all the, you know, there's no major problems or anything, nobody's blaming you guys, which is always good, of course. When you are the sole supplier, it's easier to get uh, bad comments rather than good comments, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's good to see this uh, fight between drivers. Uh, it's good to see that we have a midfield with uh, strong teams uh, and it's not just the fight for the lead, but uh, we have uh, we had uh, so many races uh, that were exciting and we saw many overtaking and, uh, and action on track that uh, I believe we are we see a, a great championship and I'm sure it will continue for to, to the end of the season. Absolutely. That's what we're all hoping for. Well, thank you, Mario. These have been fantastic answers just like last time. Good luck for the rest of the season. Hope all goes well. And uh, and yeah, we'll hopefully catch you for another podcast maybe sometime. With pleasure. Thank you very much and enjoy the rest of the weekend. You too. You too. I hope the, uh, hope the rest of the Zanvot weekend goes well for you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. I definitely did. It's always good chatting to Mario. He's some really fascinating answers there. I, you know, always, always enjoy chatting to him. Hopefully we'll get him back as well at some point. If you did enjoy the episode, be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes and you'll get us a shout out at the start of the show. And yeah, and if you want to catch other episodes of the Grid Talk podcast, of course, we have our regular qualifying race reviews, uh, previews, and also our other interview episodes as well. Like Mario Asola, we have two now. If you want to check out the old one we did before the start of the 2020 season, you can just go to the F1 Chronicle website for that, f1chronicle.com, or go on to our YouTube channel. We're closing in on 200 subscribers on there, which is fantastic. And of course, usually we live stream these episodes out. This was an exception, of course, because it was an interview, but generally we do go out live on there and the next one will be for the italian grand prix sprint sprint qualifying not quali- not regular qualifying it's sprint qualifying just like we had at silverstone it'll be back for italy on saturday and if you want to check out if you want to follow us subscribe to us like us or whatever you can go on to our, our twitter at f1 chronicle 
Our Facebook, of course, is F1 Chronicle. And you can search for the Formula One Grid Talk podcast. Just search for F1 Grid Talk on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Verbal, Omni Studio, and Pocket Casts to find us on all of those. And, uh, and yeah, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We'll be back on Saturday for sprint qualifying for the Italian Grand Prix. Until then, we'll see you for the next one. Goodbye. <laughs>